politics Some culture and craft beer Politics And that is why you're here Politics Bottoms up Bottoms up and welcome back now, it's been a couple weeks, but that's the way this show rolls now. So hopefully the anticipation drives you crazy and you just are yearning for more blotto and bottoms up. By the time it gets there, there's no way we can meet expectations, probably. That's probably what happens. <laughs> All right, but I'm always happy to be back talking about the things that are on my mind after I have some beer. Uh, today, I'm going to give a Black Rocks product a try. This is their Honey Lav, and Black Rocks is a brewery in Marquette, Michigan. Uh, native brewed is the way they call it, so must be um, some relation to the indigenous folk there in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. This American wheat is brewed with Michigan honey and a dash of lavender. Enjoy this limited summertime release with anything under the sun or the moon, as always, unfiltered. One of the reasons I chose this beer was because at uh, our brewery, we do a lavender ale, and it's very popular. It's very good. And I don't think that lavender is used very often in beer. And so it's kind of maybe checking out the competition uh, a little bit today. Um, now, theirs is, uh, I'm going to assume, theirs is going to be a bit sweeter because of the honey that they add. So we'll have to see. And uh, it's, you know, highly likely and certainly it's desirable that I enjoy both. So this is, I think it was 5.2%. Mm-hmm. And uh, both brewed with Michigan honey and lavender flowers. And there is quite a bit of lavender that grows in Michigan. Uh, so it would have been disappointing had they used somebody else's lavender. Okay, so let's uh, give it a crack. And a pour. It's a nice golden ale. I got some froth on there too. First smell. Mm, kind of just smells like beer. I'm not sure I'm picking up on a lot of lavender. Interestingly enough. Our lavender beer at the brewery uh, sometimes will have a stronger lavender bouquet or flavor than other batches, even though the ingredients are always identical. But it's a natural plant, and the way that it absorbs into the beer uh, can vary. Perhaps uh, maybe Black Rocks being a much larger brewery, they have more cost control than, or not cost control, more quality control than we do. I'm sure they have more cost control as well. So maybe they're able to get that consistency out of lavender. And it doesn't really bother us. Uh, it's just something to note that sometimes, you know, people say, hey, this has got a lot more lavender to it uh, than the last time I had it. And usually they're right about that. It could be more or less lavender. All right. So there's the color and the aroma. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get the lavender in there. It is certainly... Uh, not as strong as the lavender that we have at our brewery, um, but uh, it's there and it's uh, quite tasty. So I'm sure I'm going to enjoy this beer and I know that I've liked some other Black Rocks offerings. Uh, so that doesn't surprise me at all. So I'll let you know as it goes along if my opinions change, as they often do, I suppose, and we'll see how it goes. But Black Rocks, Honey Lav, 
get yourself some seasonal release. As I was prepping for the show today, with the minimal amount of prep that I do, as you can tell, I realized that I had not written anything down about or regarding our current president, Joe Biden, or really even much of the current administration. And I just tweeted out uh, earlier this morning um, how gloriously boring the presidency is. And, you know, I'm not sure that's really a good thing or a bad thing when when it comes right down to it. Uh, you know, is he doing enough? And we we know the limitations of what the presidency is able to do and the administration is able to do, especially with the obstruction that takes place in the Senate. Uh, so, you know, campaign promises are just what they are, campaign promises. And everyone has to realize that it, uh, um, you know, it, it, it takes uh, the whole of government to really make big change. And, you know, executive orders are only going to go so far and the House can only do so much in terms of uh, budgeting. And that's where reconciliation comes in. But the Senate, in terms of lawmaking, can pretty much obstruct whatever it likes. Um, And it's hard to imagine that we'll ever get to a 60 vote majority in in either way, in either case, um, anymore in this country. But I suppose... It, it is possible. So in one regard, I kind of thought, well, Biden not in the news is, is, is a good thing compared to the prior four years. But on the other hand, maybe it's a bad thing because not a lot is getting done. But I, I did just to just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. I, I Googled Joe Biden uh, and hit the uh, news filter. And uh, these were the top stories. So no, I really didn't miss anything. Uh, One was an opinion piece about is Kamala Harris isn't being helped by Joe Biden. You know, it's an opinion piece from the New York Times, could care less. Reuters says support for Biden erodes among Democrats as U.S. looks past pandemic. And it shows a slight decrease in some of the favorability ratings. But really, not much of a story there and kind of a stretch, in my opinion, to fill up some news. Biden's infrastructure plan would cut U.S. debt and slightly increase economic growth. And that's reported in CNBC by a Wharton study. And, you know, that at least got me thinking, OK, there's the infrastructure bill. But as we've talked about previously, I don't think there's going to be a passage of the infrastructure bill. I know that they that, you know, a bipartisan group of five and five uh, Democratic and Republican senators have come together on a bill and they're pretending like it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen. And the Republicans are going to vote against it. The whole the whole thing is, is just, you know, Lucy pulling the football away. Fourth story on the list here, Jill Biden talks marriage to Joe Biden in Vogue. And then Fox News comes in at Biden to those making 400000 I love you, but I don't mind if your taxes go up. I suppose that's Post to tick some people off. I, I don't think it's going to. Um, and then the last story on here was the Biden White House, which was uh, uh, really a comment by um, the spokesperson, uh, Jen. Biden White House defends Olympian Gwen Berry's right to peaceful protest. And it was from a ridiculous question that was asked of her at the presser yesterday, I think it was, or maybe the end of last week. Uh, and that's kind of where I was going to start today. Um, so really not much, not much really happening in Joe Biden's uh, world. And I suppose that's a good thing. 
Um, we'll have to see how things just sort of progress. But the Biden White House and administration uh, defending Gwen Berry's peaceful right to protest is kind of where I was going to start today. Uh, you know, once again, the right wing has decided that Gwen Berry is going to be the center of their faux outrage um, until the next one comes along. You know, I'm seeing all kinds of comments out there from the right regarding, you know, how Gwen Berry shouldn't be allowed to be on the Olympic team um, or that she hates this country or whatever they want to say about it. And then they kind of wrap it all up into leftists and elite athletes or whatever, because it's a non-story in that respect. But I, I still think it, it, it warrants mention. And just for those that don't know, uh, Gwen Berry is an Olympic uh, athlete. Now she is. She went to the uh, trials in Oregon and finished third on the hammer throw. And she's made the team during the award recognition of the first, second, and third place athletes. They play the national anthem and uh, she turned her back on it. And then at one point held up a t-shirt that said activist athletes. And so she's making a political statement and you know, she certainly has the right to, to do that, and I applaud her for it. You know, there's like all this like crazy outrage about her, and you know that she hates this country or she should leave it or whatever. And I, I get into these same discussions all the time, and it's about you know definition of patriotism and the right to use your platform. I I had to point out to to you know some nut on on Breitbart that I was kind of going back and forth. And he was like, you know, this is not the place for her to use that platform. And I'm like, well, you're using this platform to get your message out to people that you don't know. You're using the tools you have available to you. So why is that any different? She has a larger platform that she's decided to to use to you know, get her message across that she's unhappy with certain aspects of the direction or what America stands for. And to me, when you have the discussion about and the definition of patriotism, you know, I think included in that definition of patriotism is to call out the ills of your country, to call out what you think ought to be better, and to draw attention uh, to your ideas on how to make them better. To the right wing, I think patriotism just means blindly waving the American flag. I mean, it's a, uh, to them, it's more performative as so many other aspects of conservatism or right wing than it is really activism. And, and that is doing those things that are, are going to create a better uh, America or to have a vision. I mean, in, in one respect, you know, had the the January 6th protests been peaceful, right, then, you know, that falls within that category. I don't agree with their vision of America, and the majority of Americans don't, but, you know, they were using um, a platform to get that message across. Unfortunately, it turned violent and criminal and insurrectionist against the U.S. government um, in a violent way. And, and so, you know, it crossed you know, many, many lines in, in ways that the left never does. And, and don't talk about BLM protests because that's not even close to being the same thing. So 
sorry, not, not going to accept that. So as it relates to Gwen Berry and her right to protest, I think it also goes back to a, you know, a long history of the Olympics being used for political protest and political statements. You know, I think that history is so long now that it cannot be separated, that you have to accept that with the um, with the games being an international venue, that you're going to get political statements and social statements, not just political, but social statements intertwined because some athletes are going to use that platform to get their message across. And it's another example where the right is really, they are really the snowflakes. You know, they are the ones that just can't seem to handle when somebody does something that they don't like. And all these people whining about Gwen Berry, I mean, you know, what a bunch of snowflakes, you know, suck it up, buttercup, right? Okay, so someone is doing something that you don't like, that you find offensive, and you can't really even explain why probably, but, and and so now you just want to whine about it, and then you want to cancel her. So then you whine about cancel culture, now you want to cancel Gwen Berry, you want to cancel her out of the Olympics. The the hypocrisy is, is just on so many levels laughable. At the same time, it's sad, um, but they, they, they just don't even get it. And, it, you know, it's, it's just whatever their media sources kind of tell them and direct them to do is, is all they have. So, you know, you, you go, Gwen, you throw the hammer, so to speak. And, um, you know, I, I hope you keep doing it and I hope more athletes do it as well. Um, it doesn't interfere with the games. It doesn't interfere with the physical performances that these athletes uh, show, but at the same time, they're going to uh, use the Olympic Games as a megaphone and bring attention to things that they think ought to be improved. So much of today's topics seem to be about racism. And, you know, I, I hope that we can get to a point, I don't know when that would be, where it doesn't dominate. Um, whether it's the, the Gwen Berry story or you know, last week it was CRT, and that's still happening, critical race theory. The most comical thing about the discussions around CRT are that the people that are arguing against it don't even know what it is. They, they can't even articulate exactly what it is. They make things up about it, right? They make things up like it's teaching black people to hate white people. And they're teaching them that, you know, racism is good. They, so in order to, to sustain their, their completely twisted logic, they have to make up an alternate reality. And it, it's, just, it's just kind of a joke. You know, same thing with the voter ID laws. And I, I don't even want to call them the voter ID laws anymore because they're not about voter ID, right? They're about suppressing black vote. They're about suppressing minority voting. And, you know, anytime I have a discussion with someone on the right about this, it's like, well, why shouldn't you have to show an ID? And it's, it's, it's a red herring argument. They're trying to simplify the argument. Georgia already has voter ID laws. Their new laws did very little regarding ID. Most of these states already require some level of voter ID. And, and so to, to use that as your 
your substantiation for suppressing additional voter turnout is ridiculous because the voter ID in this country is already here. There are 36 states or something like that that require voter ID. And of course, we, we know it's not a problem, but that's not what these laws are about. So when I'm having these discussions with people on the right, it's, it's not about voter ID. It's about cutting polling places. It's about cutting polling hours. And in the most outrageous sense, like in Georgia, it's giving the power to overturn elections based on very little by partisan committees that are established for that very purpose, essentially, that if they don't like re- election uh, outcomes, they can change them. And when I, when confronted with those aspects of what's happening across America regarding voter suppression laws, the answer is always the same thing coming back to me. Well, you have to show your ID to get on an airplane. Yeah, okay. And you have to show an ID to vote in most states. So let's set that aside. Do you think it's right that a local government, governmental board uh, that is made up of all Republicans should have the right to be able to overturn an election because they think there might have been some fraud? And that that part is just going to continue to go unanswered. You know, they, they have to live in these in this world that suits their narrative and ignore the rest of reality. I don't know. I don't know if that's a product of Trumpism. I don't think that it is. I think it existed before Trump and maybe it's it's worse now. It's frustrating on uh, uh, from my perspective, it's frustrating because, you know, you're trying to maintain a serious dialogue with people and when they're unable to, you just kind of have to throw your hands up and you know take your your parting shot and let it go, because otherwise your arguments just get circular, you know, and and, and you end up repeating yourself because they ended up repeating themselves. It really goes nowhere. Um, time for some beer. It's a very thick beer, um, which I like. It's got great mouthfeel and uh, a lot of flavor. And that's just so much on the honey and the lavender side, but it's got a great beer flavor to it as well. I will be enjoying the rest of the cans that I purchased. Maybe even today. Maybe I'll drink all of them today. I don't remember the last time I sat down and drank a six-pack. I don't know if I can. (laughs) I know I can drink probably six bourbon old fashions. I came close to doing that the other night. So I, I suppose maybe that could, but this beer is just a lot of fluid. Not, not quite sure. Maybe I'll try it and then report back to you on my attempt, but don't count on that. Uh, something happened in the news yesterday that I thought was sort of worth mentioning. And my, my rant of, of kind of being anti-right wing uh, as it relates to race, Gwen Berry, CRT, voter ID, um, this kind of goes along with that it's just more of a rant uh, uh, against the, the GOP. And it was an announcement by Kevin McCarthy uh, yesterday that they don't have a party platform, but he's putting together a a series of task force to come up with that party platform so that when they retake the House, which is possible in 2022, They'll be ready with their platform. This this is absolutely laughable. Um, they don't have a platform. They elected during the 2020 election to go without a platform. 
First time ever, they did not announce a platform. Their only platform was Trump. That was it. They have no ideas. They have no even desire to show the ability to govern and become a party that creates policies that will improve America. I mean, whether you're talking about healthcare, education, even infrastructure, income inequality, they have nothing. They they have a few things that they sort of, you know, latch themselves on to, you know, uh, things like concealed carry reciprocity across the states. So, you know, that's a that's one of their their great ideas to make America better is just make it easier for people to carry guns and cross state lines uh with with guns. But they don't really, when it comes to addressing problems of America, and the gun part is, it, it just makes me think about the policing part, right? You know, they don't have ideas. They have complaints, but they don't have ideas on how to improve policing. And the Democrats do. And the Democrats' ideas on these things are popular. And they are popular by the majority of people. And when you don't tag party lines to them, they're even popular with Republicans. When you start breaking down into the nuance of here's what an actual policy would look like, not just something that, you know, they can, you know, throw the term socialism onto. Um, I, I just thought it was really sort of astounding. I don't know. I, I You know, you run out of adjectives, but that he's creating these task force to come up with their platform because they don't have one. I mean, they're a party. That's what they have are platforms. So, so, so now they're going to try and like walk this fine line of acting like they're going to deliver positive things to the American people, but not be like Democrats. And the Democrats have all the ideas, and the Republicans don't. So they have there's 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 no narrative there for them. They they've locked themselves out of the room. Now they're going to try and create new rooms. I guess I was listening to a video by Robert Reich and. He was talking about the right wing is trying to become the party of the working class. And we know by and large what that means, the working white man class, the working rural class, which in rural America, there's a lot less people working. No offense to uh, the farmers and those that do, um, but statistically speaking, that's where you have enormous amounts of unemployment and uh, underemployment is in rural America. But Robert Reich was making this point that if you're going to be the champion of the working class, well, then you should really be behind things like universal health care, because that's what really hurts the working class is the fact that there's a lack of health care in this country. You should really be behind wages going up because you know we don't need wages to go up for CEOs and uh, C-suite uh, executives in this country. We need wages to go up for those on the bottom rung. Um, you know, I- I'm in the restaurant business and I know about the problems that are inflicting the restaurant business in terms of employment. And, you know, what people don't want to talk about is those industries that are having the hardest time getting employees are also the same ones that pay for shit. So do you think there's a correlation? Yeah, maybe. 
maybe the correlation is that, you know, <laughs> you're going to have a hard time finding employees if you can't pay them. And I, I don't want to make this about um, my business. We are paying everybody a, a livable wage now. We have really upped our game in that area, but we still have more to go. You know, I know how difficult it can be, but I also know that this is why you, we need to rely on government because the best thing that could happen to small businesses in America is universal health care because then people would be more mobile. People would be able to better choose what it is they want to do instead of trying to find those jobs that have the best benefits. Those best benefits can usually only be afforded by conglomerates who then don't want to pay anybody anything when they're down in you know the mailroom, so to speak. I, I don't. I don't think there's a labor shortage for job openings in the hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar a year range. I could be wrong about that, right? I mean, you know, no one's knocking on my door <laughs> saying, "Come, come over here." You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll pay you one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Now, maybe that's happening in other parts of the country. I don't know, um, but it's those industries that are historically and notoriously known for paying poor wages, those are the ones that are having a hard time getting uh, employees. You know, the party of the working man, well, they don't really have an answer for that. And so how can you be the party for the working man if you can't address wages? Laughable and sad. That's maybe the way I'm, I'm feeling today about a lot of these topics. Laughable, but sad. So we'll wait till this GOP task force, and I guess they have like seven of them, and they're all focusing on different things. And, you know, of course, they're not going to bring in any experts. They're not going to do any real analysis. They're just going to try and get a litmus test of what the Trumpster wants, what their base wants, what's going to excite their base to get them out to vote. That's the only, it's the only thing they have is being able to excite their base to get them out to vote. And primarily in primaries. Didn't mean to say that, but for the most part in primaries. And, and then after that, it's about suppressing democratic voting to win elections and maintaining deep red states to hold on to the Senate. That's pretty much what they have going for them. I, um, I, I don't know what else I'd, I'd say about it. So it'll be fun when these task force wine finish up. It'll be fun if, you know, they do take back the house and they're ready to move forward with their agenda. We'll just have to see about that. <laughs> and I really don't want to hear the words infrastructure anymore. Let's just see, see what, because remember infrastructure was the first thing they were going to tackle, or maybe the second thing after their tax cuts, when they did have the majority after Trump took office in 2016. And what happened to that? And then, of course, they don't want to pay for anything because they have to save that money for tax breaks. That part of this gets very old, goes round and round and round. Um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on uh, this week was kind of rewinding time a little bit, going all the way back to the election. But these stories, they're, you know, a week old or a couple weeks old now. Although I could also talk about Rudy Giuliani losing his um, license to practice law in New York. Now that story, that story has become a little old, but boy, was it sweet. I mean, just revel in that for a little while. And then, you know, 
Michigan also concluding that all the claims of election fraud were bunk and the GOP investigation has supported that. And now they're also endorsing the idea that the AG of Michigan ought to go after, I guess, criminally, uh, maybe civilly, uh, those folks like Rudy Giuliani that were trying to argue in court that there was fraud. So maybe his legal troubles aren't done. And now he's going to have to uh, hire very expensive lawyers because he cannot represent him. Well, I guess you can always represent yourself, but he's not able to practice law. So that's a good thing. Um, not because his practicing law meant anything in, in the United States, but there's some level of accountability and hopefully there will be more. I don't have an update on the Arizona recount. Um, maybe I take a quick look at that and see if there's anything going on. Um, so a quick uh, Google of what's happening with the Arizona ballot audit really doesn't show much. You know, there's it could backfire on them depending upon what they come up with. Um, there's already a lot of discontent among uh, traditional GOPers that this is making them look like uh, idiots. The independent voters of Arizona are definitely against uh, the waste of time and political theater that is the uh, Arizona audit. I, it, it's just crazy about how long it's been going on. You know, it's two million votes, but um, it just it, it just shouldn't take that long to uh, to count and verify two million votes. But who knows what they're doing over? Okay, so. The other thing that I was going to mention was this reporting coming out now about Trump trying to hold on to the presidency after the election. And the first piece of it is that Bill Barr uh, now is trying to more or less repair his tainted legacy, which is never going to happen, by saying, yeah, he knew he knew that there was no election fraud and that, you know, he sort of played along with the president. He doesn't really say, you know, just to placate him and just to enable him or to to uh, stay in the good graces of Trump, which I, you know, is it, always amazing to me to, to understand why. I mean, I don't know, maybe Bill Barr really believes that the AG is the counsel of the presidency and he's damaged that office with uh, the way that he ran it. and. Uh, hopefully, it will um, once again become a completely independent arm of the the administration. But for him to come out and say, "Well, I always knew," that doesn't make him look better. That makes him look worse. I mean, so so you knew that there was no fraud, but yet you let the American people believe that maybe there was when you gave the green light for the um, federal prosecutors to go out and investigate and, you know, use the power of the federal government to investigate possible fraudulent activity. And, you know, so, so basically you lied to the American people again, which you've done over and over again, and you are blatantly admitting that you used your position as the top cop in a political way. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I would much rather him say, well, I thought maybe there could have been, and so it was worth investigating at least 
on the top level. But but no, he comes out and says, I, I knew there wasn't. I, I just, it just, it confounds me that people like him think that helps with their legacy or helps them look better now. I, I just, I, I can't explain it um, because these are supposed to be really smart people. And I, I learned a long time ago that because you're smart in one thing, doesn't mean you're smart in everything. You know, the best example I can give to that is Ben Carson, brilliant brain surgeon. But, you know, I wouldn't ever give him a piece of Ikea furniture to put together. So I, I, I don't understand why he's come out and said it. And but it just does, it does show the level of corruption that he created within the DOJ. Then beyond that, so he, he leaves uh, right before Christmas. And and now this information's coming out that right before he left, like literally hours before he left, uh, that his departure was announced, Trump was pressuring Meadows, his chief of staff at the time, to put pressure on Jeffrey Rosen, who would become the acting AG, to announce that they were going to take a lawsuit to the Supreme Court to overturn the election. And there was all these emails that either came right from Trump or from the White House or Meadows putting pressure on the DOJ to figure out ways to overturn the election. It's it's mind-boggling. The fact that the Republicans don't care, and they, they must care on some level, but they know that if they care, what do they do, right? It's like, it's, 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 it's like I, I use, I'll go back to the racism analogy again. If they admit that there's systematic racism in America, then you have to do something about it. So the only place that they go is to just deny it. And so the only place that they're going regarding um, Trump's malfeasance in the time between losing the election and Biden uh, taking over, they just have to ignore all of that stuff that took place. You know, which includes the January 6th insurrection, which includes this corrupt attempt to pressure the Department of Justice to figure out ways to overturn the election, which, by God, if they're not criminal, they ought to be. I will repeat what I've said before, I'm sure, on this podcast, and that is the Trump era did and continues to show us is that our laws of anti-corruption within government need to be stronger. That what we thought was a norm, what we thought was going to be a pillar of what is right and a, be a strong pillar of what is right. So we didn't have to, you know, threaten um, or we didn't have to support those pillars with, you know, laws that threaten people to go to jail. Maybe we have to relook that. And some of the bills that the House has has written and some of them have passed in many ways uh, attempt to do some of those things. Now, they're going to get blocked in the Senate, and I, I don't expect very much change in, in the way that we are holding our government officials uh, to account to happen. But it needs to happen. As so many people have pointed out, the whole Trump presidency ended up turning into kind of a test to push the boundaries of where the power mongers can go and how they and what lengths they will go to hold on to power. And um, so that's all very scary as we try and hold on to our democracy. So it really, it really is, you know, frightening. And again, I'm at a loss of adjectives, but 
you can use your own in in terms of just how outrageous um, all of this is. You, you know that's why they that's why they don't want any investigations because they they can't live in that world that they can't live in that reality they can't live in that actual history that took place because it it, it either then they have to just admit just how deplorable they are or they have to condemn it because the actions were deplorable so either you're you know you're either with the murderer or you're against murder right those you know those are the the two choices that that you have in 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 that kind of analogy anyway so that's what i got i'm enjoying the beer um i'll add one little thing my 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 social takeaway for this week was it was my birthday week this week i had my birthday let's put it that way i don't want to celebrate my birthday all week and uh same with a number of my friends that all seem to have birthdays say like in the last two weeks of july last two weeks of june first two weeks in july there's a there's a cluster of us roll back 9 months back in the 60s and you get an idea that october must have been a very busy time for our parents back in the 60s maybe the change of the seasons I don't know. Anyway, um, but I, I started thinking about how social media has changed uh, birthdays. You know, this week, my timeline, my feed was filled with lots of birthday wishes from people I don't even know, some from friends of friends that somehow saw it, you know, and either liked another post that someone had written happy birthday on or, you know, when I said thank you, they like that too and is social media helping birthdays or 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 does it has it taken a lot of the meaning out of it because it's just so easy now to wish somebody happy birthday on social media you know it's 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 taken the work out of it right calling them on the phone or getting together or inviting them to dinner or buying them a gift or sending them a card right i was never good at any of those things anyway before social media so, so, so maybe for someone like myself, it's better because I can wish people happy birthday in, in ways that I didn't before. But at the same time, is it just, is it just sloppy, easy, lazy? I don't know. You, you, you know, I, I guess to each his own on it. I, I generally like the way that social media moves society. So maybe, maybe it's a good thing. But on the other hand, maybe it waters down the meaning. Personally, I, I even thought to myself in, in kind of thinking about it is, you know, our birthday is overplayed to begin with, right? I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's sort of a random, a random date that we celebrate as a milestone for, you know, being on the planet as it, you know, another time that it circles the sun, right? Is that, that it orbits the, the sun. Um, you know, I'm not just a year older. I'm a year and a day older. I'm a year and two days older, three days older, a year and four, you know. So, you know, it just, it it seems kind of just randomish to me. I don't know, but maybe now I'm just rambling on trying to make something out of nothing. But anyway, so think about how, whether you think social media uh, has helped or hurt the meaning of our birthdays, and um, anytime you want to throw some feedback on bottoms up, I'd appreciate it. All right. Well, I've enjoyed uh, our time together and uh, hopefully uh, I'll get another episode out there uh, pretty quickly. And hopefully by then Biden will have done something that we can really talk about. Until then, listen up, drink up and bottoms up. Politics. 
some culture and craft beer politics and that is why you're here politics bottoms up